Hey friends, this is Michael Bowman, and welcome back to the Christ Church Podcast. and peace, and it is sure good to be with you today. We are continuing on in our walk through the Apostles' Creed. If this is your first episode with us, welcome. I'm glad you are here. And I would really like to encourage you to hit pause now and go back and listen to our previous episodes so you can have a clue as to what is going on here. <laughs> I think that would be good for you. Um for those of you who have been walking with us, we have made it to the next line in the Apostles' Creed, where we affirm together as the church that we believe also in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Remember last week we were uh, walking through the f- the very beginning of our creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and now we have gotten to that next line, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Pause there. The hope of this particular episode is to provide an understanding of what we are saying here. It's kind of the whole point of what we're doing anyway. Um, And what we're doing when we say this, when we make this statement in Jesus Christ, we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, we are claiming a few things. Simply put, we are saying that we believe in Jesus Christ, that he actually exists, and that Jesus is the only Son of God, and that he is our Lord. We have no other. So let's go a little bit further to get at the deeper meaning of what we are saying. And to start, I'd I'd like for us just to look at the Bible and see what insight it may give us as to what it is that we are claiming here about what we believe in and about Jesus. Well, you may remember uh, in Matthew's gospel, specifically Matthew 3, that Jesus was baptized by none other than John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And And it is an incredible scene here. Matthew tells us that Jesus shows up from Galilee to see John the Baptist, in fact, to be baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River. That's where John was hanging out. He was baptizing people all the time. And John, which is, by the way, how he got his name, John the Baptizer. But John would have, Matthew kind of throws this little line in there. He would have prevented Jesus from allowing this to happen, that he actually felt like Jesus should be baptizing him. But Jesus says, no, 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 you're supposed to baptize me. Let's fulfill this whole prophecy and blah, blah, blah. Here we go. John the Baptist ends up baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. That's why Jesus went. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. And Matthew uses this language, he alights on him, or the the Spirit rather alights upon Jesus, which is beautiful language. And then a voice from heaven speaks, God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. If you need a biblical explanation of what we are saying when we state in the creed that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, you don't really need to look much further than this right here. This is my beloved son, God the Father says. 
with whom I am well pleased. As far as where we might get the claim that Jesus is Lord, well, there are plenty of places to go in Scripture, like a whole lot of places. But I'd like us just to take in what some of his own followers said about him and, and, and this topic of, or this claim rather, that Jesus is Lord. When Jesus's friend Lazarus gets sick and ultimately dies, Jesus, as you may remember, sort of took his time in getting to, to where Lazarus was in this town of Bethany. Martha meets Jesus when he finally gets to the town, like on the edge of town, basically. And she tells him that, you know, if you had just been here, Jesus, I know that Lazarus would still be alive instead of dead for the last four days, but that even now, God will do whatever you ask. This is what Martha knows about Jesus already. Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again and that he is, Jesus is the resurrection and the life that whoever believes in him will never die. And after asking Martha if she believes this, Martha responds, and this is what she says. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Boom. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Martha knew it too. Of course, we know one of the twelve who could never keep his mouth shut, Peter, or Simon Peter, also knew this about Jesus. He told Jesus to his face, you are the Christ, which is the Greek term for Messiah, the son of the living God. Again, here we have it in the creed. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So what are we claiming here? We find in Paul's letters this claim that Jesus is Lord, for example, in Romans, in his letter to the Corinthians, and even further in his letter to the Philippians, which may in fact be the most helpful place to land to explain what we are claiming to believe in the Apostles' Creed about Jesus. Let's hear what Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, why don't we? Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, they go like this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Can we get an amen? In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul quotes what many believe to be the most ancient of hymns in the church. That's what we just read from. It tells us not only what Jesus is like, but what his lordship is like. To claim that Jesus is Lord means that we are, at the very beginning, acknowledging that he shares the identity of Israel's God. Why do I say that? Well, throughout the Old Testament, 
Um, authors are constantly referring to God as Yahweh, which in the Greek is translated kairos, which means, you probably guessed it, Lord. To say Jesus is Lord is to swear your allegiance to him and to him alone, to, to swear your allegiance to him and say that he is the Lord of our lives above all else and anyone else. If Jesus is Lord, then no one or no other thing is or could ever be. In fact, it's a universal claim that Jesus is Lord and will continue to be Lord because Paul even says, and, and whoever wrote this, the ancient hymnist says, God highly exhausted him, exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name. There's no other name higher than Jesus's. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend. All will bow, all in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue, no matter tribe, sect, whatever, will confess and should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. That means no one or no other thing is or could ever be. Now, the term Lord can come with it some negative thoughts, some negative connotations, because we often, when we think of lords, we think of like tyrannical rulers, overlords, kings, nobles, whatever, who selfishly hoard power, and they use it for their own will. They, they grow wealthy while others who they rule over grow poor. They get fat and, and happy off of their food while people in their streets that they're supposed to be ruling over are getting hungrier and go without. They hoard power and use it for their own will, no matter the cost or what it may do to the people they rule over. The one in power can cause great fear for those being ruled over. But this is not so with Jesus. This isn't how Jesus operates as Lord. Again, let's go back to this ancient hymn that Paul quotes to describe Jesus and his lordship. It goes like this at the very beginning, though he was in the form of God. Remember, Jesus is God. <laughs> That's the claim we're making here. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, or as some translations say, as something to be grasped or held onto or hoarded. But instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the beauty of what we are claiming in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus is the only Son of God and that Jesus is Lord. As Ben Myers, who I've quoted before, points out, the real centerpiece of the Apostles' Creed is not a doctrine, but a name. Jesus Christ is Lord. Our whole faith centers upon a real, lasting, intimate, and personal relationship with Him. Jesus' Lordship is personal, it's intimate, it's real. He does not hoard power, but he offers his power to us. He doesn't hoard it up, but rather, as we find in this letter to the Philippians, he empties himself of it. He gives it freely. He's not selfish, but rather he is the definition of selfless. Instead of fear, he incites hope. Instead of exploiting those he rules over, Jesus serves them. 
Think of that scene in the upper room where Jesus puts the towel around his waist, takes the basin and fills it with water, and he washes the disciples' feet. He's a servant leader. Instead of enslavement, Jesus frees and liberates. And in the light of the claim that Jesus is Lord, we find that all people are our brothers and sisters, no matter who they are. There's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. At the very heart of the Apostles' Creed, we make the most universal and bold claim that we possibly could And this claim is what everything else in this creed that we will go on to talk about revolves around. Jesus. We believe in Jesus, the only Son of God, our Lord. Period.